Peace, love, and fish grease family. It's your girl Coffee here for yet another season of Passion Meets Politics. Shout out to you all for the support and the love and constantly sticking it out with your girl. Um, I'm excited because once again, I'm starting this season with an amazing guest. Um, my cousin, the amazing uh, V-Shane Frederick. Um, Shane and I met um, doing musicology stuff, and we have discovered that our folks are from the same place, uh, essentially in North Carolina. So we have dubbed ourselves cousins. We cousins. We cousins. Now we family. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Shane is amazing and is just a wonderful singer and takes your breath away every time you hear him. Um, And he just put out his debut album, Love Some, which I listened to on the regular, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> getting those streams up there. <laughs> like, Listen, I appreciate the Listen, let me, <laughs> let me stream it every opportunity I get. Um, so welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about, like, your choice to day in a black musical tradition right Mm, okay because you have the range Mm -hmm. and that's not me being you know dramatic Uh you literally have the range Uh to take your talents to any genre of music um and what's i've I've noticing has been happening happening with folks um is that specific black traditions like jazz um have been you know, kind of neglected and pushed to the side and co-opted. Um, so why was your heart in the jazz music? Uh, I think of jazz as, as an intrinsic part of my like identity or my, my expression. Mm-hmm. So for me to not do that, even when I'm doing other things, it still has um, a jazz inflection, a jazz understanding and um, exploration. So there's that, that, to me, that's my underpinning, that's my foundation. Um, and anything that I will do, if I should do something that is not quote unquote mainstream jazz, it's going to have some jazz color in it, because that's my um, that's my language. It is my language. It happens to be also my culture, right? Um, it birthed out of my culture. So with that said, I you know I can't take it out. It is not something I can extract and just like say I'm taking that out of my music. I'm going to just do this. And I know what you mean. I've seen people do that. Uh, and I guess I can appreciate that if that's your musical journey. But I don't see my musical journey deviating from using uh, a jazz language. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I've watched, especially here in the city, I see a lot of non-black folks in the, in the jazz scene. And I lately have been wondering like where are the black jazz musicians and like where are they and in Philadelphia particularly um, why is it so hard for them to you know find a gig or get into a place or is it is it is it that is it is there an actual barrier or is it just not enough young black people are interested in the tradition anymore uh, so complex. 
I guess because I'm really, really, really in it, I do see that there are black people in it. Yes, the younger people tend to be not black. Mm -hmm. um, I've noticed. Um, but there are those of us, you know, and the youth coming up, um, there are a few who are a part of that vision and have been, have received that oral history, you know, so um, it is not gone, but I guess what is edified, what is put on a pedestal specifically here, does not always reflect something that looks like me. Right. But that's why I'm still here and still doing what I do um, and going to be in those spaces because I know what that represents and how I can't remove myself from that. And anytime you, you mention jazz in Philly, I'm gonna pop up. Of course. And be in, in the space because. Even though, you know, Kaboom gets respected. What, um, have you always loved jazz music? Was it always your first choice? I think I started really listening to jazz proper, uh, we'll call it, when I was like 13 or 14. Um, and back then it was still. I guess we were transitioning from cassettes to CDs. Um, I grew up in church and I grew up in a space and in a, a world in which only thing you listen to was gospel music mm -hmm. and everything else outside of gospel was blues music. Right. Um, but then other parts of my family were listening to Anita Baker, Anita, you know, Anita Baker and Sade and Rochelle Farrell, um, who I definitely think in those moments were great transitional artists. Um, that led me further into the George Duke of it all. And you know, you can't go too far into George Duke without understanding um, the jazz underpinning of his work. And so it kind of, you know, each artist, each album led to another album. And the next thing I knew, I was um, listening to Coltrane going to sleep, or, you know, listening to Miles and Mingus. And, you know, I started with the greats and then went into the, the people who were not so popular. Um, and that's where my exploration began. So I guess at my early teens was when it kind of hit me. When did you discover that it was the thing that you loved to sing? Like, when did you realize, like, oh, my voice loves it? Because your voice loves it, right? Like, <laughs> your voice loves jazz music in a way that is, like, crazy. Like, it's, it's like... <laughs> I'm always awestruck when you open your mouth. Like, I'm always ready at the edge of my seat and then blown away. <laughs> you know, when you actually sing, so. So I didn't sing in church. I didn't start singing until maybe I was 18, 19. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't start really practicing music until then. So, and that actually happened when I was away at college. I was at Dartmouth College. I was one of like 100 black people on the campus and they said, hey, you're black, come to gospel choir. I went to gospel choir, started singing. Even though I grew up in church, I never sang in church. And I grew up around a family of musicians, but I never was one of them. Um, this is in North Carolina. So around that same time, you know, I had this encyclopedia of jazz in my head um, and an encyclopedia, you know, the canon of gospel music, you know, specifically black American gospel music um, in my head. And uh, I didn't start singing jazz until I was 1920, somewhere around there, just like as a complete novice, complete amateur, just like, oh, this is cool, I can actually sing, and I'm going to sing this kind of music, and then I got into the repertoire, that's how that happened for me, mm -hmm. um, so I guess I can't think of myself not singing jazz, so I don't know, I don't know what that even looks like, um, 
and because of my musical development all occurred around the same time, it just happened, it lined up that way perfectly. What, um, I mean, what was the, what was the background? Um, like in, in college, like what was the, the discovery like? Did you, cause you have an amazing range. What was the, what's the background story to the discovery of the range? Uh, that's just me being crazy and exploring and just going um, it's like an unraveling, an unfolding of myself the mm-hmm. development of myself um, even in college, like I wasn't singing in college, you know, for real I was doing the gospel choir I dropped out of college, long story short um, I went back to school much later to finish my bachelor's degree but I let's see, I went to Orton Jazz House at which um, there was a fantastic, legendary um, jam session, at least twice a week. Um, it's no longer there oh, in that same fashion. Third and Poplar, I believe it was. Third Street, Poplar Street, North and Liberty. Mm-hmm. My grandmother lives over there. So I would, you know, at my granny's house, uh, Sunday night or Monday night, I'm going to go to the jam session, right? Not even old enough to be at the bar. Definitely not uh, no old enough to drink the whiskey and coke that I had at the bar. <laughs> They weren't carding me, but I would bring my little charts and sit in, and I would watch people sit in. I watched people, legends in town, and um, other musicians who, you know, legends visiting town, and the legends who were just in town at the jam session. Yeah. And like, oh, I could do that, maybe. Let's try. Let me pull up some of my favorite songs to see how this feels. Okay. So that's how that happened for me. And so I grew up in that space, really trying to develop my musical identity, um, understand my musical voice. Also being a, a, a man with a, not a tenor voice, so gospel is tenor, you know, soprano, alto, tenor. If you're not a tenor, you're not really in gospel, right? right. At least contemporary gospel. Right. So that's when I knew I couldn't be really doing gospel because I'm not up there, you know, screaming the, the Daryl Coley notes. Jazz gave me a space for me to actually occupy my own voice. Mm-hmm. It gave me a space to embody my musicality comfortably. And then with that, yes, I do have the range, and I can go up, and I can do fun stuff, and blah, 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 blah. But my voice doesn't sit in the rafters all day, because I'm not a tenor, you know. Um, I'm not a counter tenor. I'm not singing the alto line. Um, I actually can't imagine you singing alto. (laughs) Like, up there, nah. (laughs) Because my voice dropped, like, when I was 15, 16. So, and I started college when I was 16 years old. By the time I was in college, I was... You know, a lyric baritone. That's what I had. You know, I, my, my voice was identified as such, and I realized that I couldn't be singing them as a tire tenor lines, them John B. Key tenor lines, mm-hmm. and you know, doing everything Daryl Coley does in his specific octave and register. Right. You know, I could I could do it. You know, bring it down a third or fourth. You know, bring it down an octave. I could do it. You know, something like that. But um, jazz. Also, jazz has a history of male baritones. Um, there are not a lot of male baritone vocalists anymore um, in our current pop music. No. But, you know, we can talk about Billy Eckstein and uh, Arthur Prysock and Joe Williams and a whole bunch of people a lot of people have never heard of, some of whom they have heard of, Eddie Jefferson, all of whom are baritones. And they sit in the, in the resonance, the richness of their voice. And it fit the music, it fit the culture, it fit the whole thing. It made sense. Um, I don't have a pop voice because I'm not a tenor. You know, I can play with it a little bit. You know, I can, I can do it in my own sweet way. Um, 
but I don't have the classic R&B, you know, that Wanye uh, voice. It's not my voice. I'm my voice, my the, Philly, the Philly legend Wanye. <laughs> right, right. I mean, but he has that, that strong, that tenor, that metallic tenor, you know. Mm. Um, my voice gets like bigger at the bottom, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, just the way, the way my voice resonates and the way it sits in my body, it's a different kind of voice. And pop music, they want you to be in this octave right here. And then do this little head voice stuff right here, you know. So it's really, it's a formula. If you fit that formula, great. You're golden. Right. All you gotta do is just stand there and sing the song, right? Mm-hmm. And I gotta do different kind of work. So I'm like working my mojo on it in a whole different way. Right. Speaking of being in your body, um, that's something that you and I have kind of talked about on a personal level. Um, but recently... Um, in the last couple things that we've done together, um, you know, and working together, I've watched the way in which you use your body to kind of get those <laughs> those notes out. When right. did you when did you discover that? Like, and what advice do you have to other artists who are trying to figure out how to get back into their bodies um, and who want to sing, but it doesn't quite come out the way they want it to, and they they need to figure out how to resituate themselves. Um, the more natural it is, the more natural it sounds and the more natural you feel doing it, um, the better it's going to be received. Um, so it's really important. I guess uh, I have an issue with vocalists who sound different singing than they do talking. That weirds me out. Like some people, like they, I'm like, whose voice are you singing with? You don't even sound like that. So Michelle A and her like really high speed talking voice, and then that like alto she sang with. Yeah, I mean, because she talks over, you know, over the larynx, you know, the things that, you know, physiologically, there's a whole explanation I'm sure vocal people um, will get. Um, but even people who like sing with other people's voices, and that's, a, that's an example. But it's like, yo, you, that's an affectation why you sound like that. Like, it's bothering me because it doesn't feel genuine. <laughs> like, why, you sound, why does everything sound like that? This is not how you talk. If you pick up the phone and order pizza or whatever, this is not how you're going to sound doing that. Right. And for me, getting to the best part of my singing, you know, developing my craft as a vocalist, it's been a focus on breathing, you know, proper support, all the basic singing stuff, placement, um, clarity, understanding tone and pitch, and just really being relaxed, having an open every... So you got to do what you got to do to be relaxed and open to produce this sound and sustain this sound that is going to sound clean and good. That's, you know, that's the kind of work that has to happen in order for you to be the most you you can be. Yeah. And anything that's um, outside of that, like distorting and changing the vocal colors and, you know, you know, things that people do that end up damaging their voices in order to sound like someone else and who they really are, it's, that's no good at the end of the day. And that's why you have a lot of vocalists who don't really have the same voice mm-hmm. um, years or a couple decades later. There's a, yeah. there's a natural, you know, degenerative curve with the voice. You know, the voice decays a little bit as we get older. Right. But... But I think about people like, you know, like Aretha Franklin, and I think about Gladys Knight, and I think about Patti LaBelle, and I think about even though these women, you know, lived well on and later into their lives when they got up to perform, they hadn't sound like they had age. Yeah, yeah. You know, even Anita, like, on, she's on a full-blown tour. Yeah. Like, in yeah. a residency. Yeah. Just shining. And, and those people all sound like they sound. 
as in they are they, they are that, they are them. These are people who are, they have a specific voice that is a unique voice and it's not another person's voice. And then when they talk, you can just in there talking, you know who they are. Right. But if you get people, and this is interesting in the gospel world, I think we have two voices in gospel and everyone is there. Everyone is doing all this other stuff, which is great. You know, it's nice to have colors and growl. But if that's not your natural tone, the damage you're going to do will have you sounding like that talking in a couple decades. And your voice will not sustain itself. And you'll develop nodules and have all this kind of damage in your body because you believe that this is the voice you're supposed to have instead of actually having the voice you have. Right. I mean, you know, if we want to talk about gospel, if you want to give your best to God, give your voice to God. Right. Let it be your voice. Don't let it be someone else's voice. Right. You know? Right. That's that's wonderful advice. Um, and it kind of segues perfectly into, like, I want to talk about the album. Yes. I want to talk about Love Song. Um, Because you've done a mix of, like, standards and some original stuff, right? Um, I did, like, a lot of... Uh, I won't say esoteric, but I pulled out some things that people don't do, and I did them in my own way. Mm-hmm. So much so that, like deconstruct. I like to deconstruct songs naturally anyway. So this allowed me to deconstruct stuff and pull out stuff that no one does, and say, "Oh, I'm gonna do this this way," and do it right next to a standard. Yeah. You know, which also is part of the jazz story because right. that's what we do. we've done that in jazz. You know, I think about artists like Cassandra Wilson and Abby Lincoln who have pulled non-jazz songs and done them next door to you know a regular old song yeah. and like say something what's up what's good you mad you know the next you thing you know right the next thing you know that song is now a jazz standard mm-hmm. you know I, I particularly think of the way that you flipped I know I've been changed oh, yeah. at the end of the album like that thing will have you ready to shout and you ain't even <laughs> shouting nowhere <laughs> Right. I know you changed for Jesus. Like you had me ready to fall out in the aisle, and even watching you do it like on stage was really uh, transformative. So, <clears throat> excuse me, what was the inspiration behind that spin on that? Because it's a gospel standard. Yeah, it is right. Um, it was a thought seed that came to me about two years ago. I remember when I heard it in my head, and I sat down at my keyboard. And I plucked it out like, oh, this is cool. This is different. So let's do it instead of doing it in, you know, 4-4, four, four, let's do it in 3-4 or, you know, 6-8 or whatever. And let's reharmonize it. And let's do all this jazzy stuff that jazz people do. But the song is still the same song. Let's explore this song the same way that a jazz musician explores a jazz thing. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that song is worthy of that exploration. I think it is. Um, I think blackness is any modality is always worth that that exploration. I think that's how we honor the best part of ourselves by exploring it. Um, So I I like, you know, adding that song to my vocabulary and say, I'm going to do this on my set now. Bam. And I will, right? And it's the greatest gift that you have given us. I tell you that much. Love Some as an album just flows so beautifully and so naturally. It it doesn't feel like something doesn't belong in any of that track list. Mm. So kudos to you, because it's a vibe, as the young kids say. It's a vibe. It's it's a vibe, as the young kids say. Um, Thank you for being here. I appreciate this. I can't believe you know that we are like at the mark already. So I don't Uh feel like we've been sitting here long and talking, but here we are. Yeah. Thank um, you so much, my sister. No problem. Tell the folks where they can find you weekly on Wednesdays. You right. are at 
So Wednesdays I host the, we call it the French Quarter Session at South Jazz Club. Um, it's a broad and Mount Vernon, 600 North Broad Street. That's a uh, kind of a New Orleans vibe. And I switch up the band pretty much every week, kind of rotate through different bands. I curate that series. Uh, as of now, I've been doing it since uh, February. We started in February. Yeah. So, right around Mardi Gras. That's right, yeah. Um, and, you know, I have other restaurants and bars and jazz clubs and this and that and relationships on a lot of shows at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia. Um, I'm in Atlantic City a lot. I'm at Kelsey's pretty often. Kelsey's another, like, music spot. And I'm all over. You can find me on my, all of my social media is V-Shane, S-H-A-Y-N-E. I think my Twitter, my Instagram, all of that reflects that. Find me on Facebook. Find me in these streets. You know what I'm saying? We'll put you. We'll put all the uh, information on how to contact you, Shane, in the description box. Um, it has been a truly great, great moment spending with you, as it always is. Thank you for blessing me with your presence, you know, because I know you be booked and busy, you know. Whatever, um, yeah. I was, I was, I was excited. Um, I'm, I'm like, I like it. Let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. And thank you for holding this space uh, in the digital realm. So yeah. I'm excited. This is see. my baby. That's right. That's right. That's support the baby. I'm very, I'm very proud of my baby. All right, folks, you can like, share, and comment this podcast. Um, hit the link in the. You also have a website, right? I do. My link. website, vshane.com. Yep. Link to the website will also be there. Uh, Passionese Politics is coming back, and we're excited. Oh, and oh, we oh, have oh. so many great people coming. Yeah. Um, coming up this season There's so many great topics So be sure you listen and share Alright We out Out Bye bye <laughs>